Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Annie Goodman and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with us. Because he has a lot of chip spots. Monday, October 21st, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of Young Enough Cancer. I am your co-host, Matthew Zachary, and I am a proud 17-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And I'm your co-host, Annie Goodman, journalist, young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives on stupidcancershow.org. On tonight's show, Stupid Environment. The environment sucks and causes cancer, true or false. What can we do? Let's find out in this episode of the Stupid Cancer Show with experts Lindsay Dahl, Serata Tangerala, and Nancy Burenmeyer. Special guest, Lori Ortega and the Survivor Spotlight. And I'm Maureen Sweet, Chief Everything Else Officer here at Stupid Cancer, and I'll be live tweeting throughout the broadcast at Chemodex. So send me your questions and feedback at any time with the hashtag SCRadio. We get the big applause tonight. I know, seriously. They're still yeah. really excited. Yeah, this crowd. We just we can't keep them calm. I'm well, excited too. They're great. Well, we have a special guest live in studio. We like when they have live in studio guests. Hello, Ariana. Hello. Thank you for having me. Ariana Vargas. Yes. Ariana Vargas. That is my name. Happy to be here. And you are? I am the Director of Business Development at GiveForward.com, an online fundraising platform for medical expenses. And we like GiveForward.com. We do. Yes, Mm -hmm. we do. So basically, someone gets sick. And they're broke because everything makes you broke, and you're broke to begin with, which is even worse. So people can raise money for you, the sick person, without having to be a charity or work with a nonprofit, correct? Absolutely. So when you hear that a a friend gets sick and you're not exactly sure what to do and you're feeling a bit helpless, a great thing to do is check out GiveForward.com, and you can create a page. Your 
the patient can update people and let them know how they're doing, status of their health, how they're feeling that day. Um, but then people can also leave a hug or a monetary donation. And you're not some fly-by-night organization. You raise upwards of $60 million a year to help people. Yeah, we actually launched in 2008. So if you're familiar with Kickstarter, if anyone's heard of that, um, we launched before Kickstarter was cool or around. Um, so people call us the Kickstarter of medical expenses. And since 2008, we've helped people raise $66 million. That is wow. extraordinary. Extraordinary. It helps people out because cancer is expensive. Yes. Along with other well, health ailments. Rent is expensive. True. <laughs> Especially in New York City. Yes, exactly. My anyway. friends did a page for me when I was diagnosed. Yeah, you did have a page, right? You had a page. I did have a page, yeah. and it was incredibly helpful because when I was diagnosed, I like lost my mind because I was like, I'm poor, and it was very helpful. Yes. And we're, we're still helping you find that. I know, seriously. So you were in town visiting, and you chose to come to the office and I, hang out at the show. I did. Stupid Cancer is actually one of my favorite organizations because it's very real, and I love the way you list resources on the website. How you say, I am feeling annoyed. I feel lonely. I'm like, that's what people want. Like, yeah. which I'm, one do I feel? I'm hungry. Yeah. No, we do that's not. That's the next button. The one button Kenny wanted, but I couldn't put on there, is what to drink tonight. <laughs> like uh, any cocktail to suit your mood. It's like booze roulette. Yep. <laughs> I forget what that website was. That you. What was the criteria that you plugged in? I think it was just your name, your age, and how angry you were. And I told you what beer to it drink. Was, I think it was Drinkify. <laughs> Drinkify. Yeah. You, should do, you guys should do that with music, too. How you're feeling, and then you just someone plays you a song. Oh, uh, that's what it is. Yeah, I'm listening to. Let's see, stupid cancer show. What should I drink? <laughs> dun, dun, Drum dun, roll, dun, please. Yes. Get ready for. Let for the, the internet provide us with the answers we need. It's like WTF. All right, n- n- no response from Drinkify. Okay, that's a fail. Maybe next time. Bomp, anyway. Bomp. So anyway, so to catch up, Lenny and I, uh, Kenny and I, came back from a conference with Lenny, our board chairman, Dr. Leonard. Sender, and in the interest of sharing actual progress with our listeners and the world out there, the manifestation of the young adult cancer movement has really coalesced in the formation of a legitimate society of oncology professionals specifically for young adults. So we take a look at, like everyone knows, the New England Journal of Medicine. The cancer version of that is the Journal of Clinical Oncology, which is published by ASCO, which is the American Society of Clinical Oncology, 30,000 members. There is now an ASCO just for young adults called AYAO, Adolescent Young Adult Oncology. They have their own journal. So it's like the Journal of Clinical Oncology just for young adults, and they have their own society. So this was the kickoff event for the society and the journal, and Kenny and I got to present to, what, about 110, 120? Yeah, I'm going to write a blog about it. Yeah, it was really Get impressive excited. to have all these people there and to be representative of the organization, leading the Young Adult Cancer Movement, talking about what we do to uh, the the top cream of the crop leadership in the Young Adult Movement from the clinical side, and uh, it was it was transformative. I love going to conferences and seeing, uh, we'll call them boomers, in our sunglasses. Right, yes. <laughs> we're, we're transcending up. Yes. It's always <laughs> exciting. It was great. And uh, we got to meet uh, Josh Newman, who uh, lost his brother to cancer, is writing a documentary film. But he works at Good Magazine, and he's a really cool guy, and he really wants to help. And it was just, uh, we've been talking to him for quite a while now, but he's he's super cool. And, and shout out to Josh Newman for being awesome. Yeah, Jersey transplant now living in West Hollywood. Yep. First time uh, indulging in the West Hollywood diner. Yep, exactly. Experience. <laughs> it, was, it was fun. No, he, he's really cool. 
And um, along our travails and trials and tribulations in the West Coast, uh, my bromance with Kenny uh, yielded a super geek moment, at least for me. I think for him, too. More for me. Most people out there don't know there's a, um, there's a Facebook for corporate internal networks called Yammer. It's a really cool platform that we've been using here in the uh, organization for a couple of years now. And it was just bought by Microsoft for a multi-million dollars, and it's a real big thing now and huge adoption internationally. We met the co-founder of Yammer while we were out there. And it was like meeting uh, like a, a version of Steve Jobs. It's like huh. the Wizard of Oz. He was like the Wizard of Oz. We met the <laughs> Wizard. He was and was like literally kissing his ring. Like, thank you so much for being amazing. I love to be you're like those two. It was embarrassing and awesome at the same time. But anyway. But anyway, I digress. And uh, before we bring out Lori, I think she's on the phone. But uh, we want to talk briefly about uh, Instapeer. What's Instapeer, Matthew? Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, Instapeer is the cure for cancer isolation, and that is my new tagline that I'm saying right now. Congratulations it on is, the new tagline. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, go to instapeer.org, and we are crowdfunding to raise fifty thousand dollars to help launch an app product by the end of the year, hopefully early next year if we can, can't get it done by them. And its goal is to basically connect young adults, I'm sorry, connect people affected by young adult cancer uh, through text messaging over mobile. And nothing like that really exists these days, and we believe that it's the next iteration of how patient communities are born and empowered and how we can speak to providers and educators and build better standards of care in cancer centers and ensure that no one has to go through this alone because we are entitled to survive with dignity and quality. Sounds amazing. We should put some secret features in there, like like how back in the day when you were on Super Nintendo, you could do like up, up, left, left, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it, should, it should unlock some like drinks that would appear somehow. We should put the, um, the inception. <laughs> some drinks for Kenny. We need the inception <laughs> bomb in there somewhere. No. Maybe bring it up. So I'm gonna queue it up. Anyway, I'm not plugged in. So we're really excited um, to bring Instapeer to market hopefully soon. But please do check it out. Even if you know, even a five dollar donation, we don't like to do appeals here on the air. But we just want everyone to watch the video at least. So again, Instapeer.org. Check it out. Please tell your friends and give us your money. Well, Kenny can say that. I don't like saying that. I get highs when I ask for money. Give we, money. Because we deserve it. Well, you're hosting a fundraiser, aren't we you? We are. On Wednesday, Maureen's going to bartend. I am bartending. Hey, girl. we got fresh, stupid cancer tank tops. I'm going to be putting one of those on. Really excited. Yeah, we have, we have new stuff in the store, by the way. Yeah, yeah. that's coming up during the stupid cancer news. Yes. Um. So, yeah, if you're in the New York City area, come over to Public, Public House. House. That's on 41st, right near Grand Central. So, that's convenient. Even if you're in, like, New Jersey or mm-hmm. Connecticut or some place that is not New York. Long I don't Island. know why you live there. Yeah. Um, and... $10 cover, buy a drink, give me. Give us as much money as you feel like. Yeah. Bring yeah. in boxes of money. Maureen will be making some strong drinks. Seriously. <laughs> That's yes. right. This is your I, first gonna, time bartending, right? I'm, yes, I'm going to be promptly fired. Have you, heard, <laughs> have you heard from them at all? Have they um, given you any instructions? Well, well, I sent them an email. and like, hi, I never know. I don't, I've never done this. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so they did say to come in like 30 minutes or an hour early and that I'd have a bartender friend that would be helping me out. So Nice. So I, I should be in good hands. If not, it'll just be three embarrassing <laughs> hours for me. If not, people will be wasted. <laughs> awesome. Good enough. All right. Well, let's kick off our show. Our first guest tonight is uh, Lori Ortega. She is a young adult living with Cowden's syndrome. We're going to learn what that is tonight. Uh, a rare genetic condition. 
which actually poses increased risk for, uh, for cancer, all cancers particularly. She had a prophylactic bilateral mastectomy. Um, it is a silent, invisible, and real killer affecting one in 200,000 Americans. She blogs her journey at beatingcowdens.com. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the one and only, Lori Ortega. Lori. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much. I know it was uh, interesting to convince you to come on the show, but you are a rock star in my eyes, and I, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. So uh, let's just get to the bread and butter. You, you, you know my wife. That's how we were connected. You've uh, known my wife since high school. Uh, yeah, eight eighty-five thousand years ago, and <laughs> that's what it feels like these days. I, yeah. I love to appreciate being called a young adult. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, I'm going to be four. We're all going to be forty next year, but I'm going to be in my own loophole, which is exciting. It's <laughs> kind of like a protected time sheath that grafts me into the original alumni of the young adult cancer world. So we 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 shall stay young in mind only, and <laughs> we're going to find a nice corner of the office to put you <laughs> yeah, in. I'm going to wear a dunce cap in the corner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, so so I'm um, J- uh, Jess was telling me all about you and your story, and you know this show is all about cancer, but we do a lot of shows about other chronic diseases that young adults face, and they kind of all suck, and they kind of all have the same issues that we deal with, and especially when one is a precursor or increases risk for cancer, that clearly is something we want to raise awareness about and talk about. So. Let's uh, let's just jump into it. Your story, where were you, what symptoms, how was life getting on you, getting misdiagnosed, that whole process? Actually, it's, it's funny. When I look back all through the high school years and even probably before that, I was always um, the kid who grew things. Um, but I was happy that they all seemed to be benign. Um, it got to a point where I was about 18, 20 years old, and I would look at people funny when they would say that they had never had surgery before because it was almost commonplace for me to have things, you know, biopsied and, and checked out. I had a huge uh, fatty mass in my neck when, when we were probably freshmen in high school. I had my thyroid taken out by the time I was 20 because it was all full of nodules. I had a couple of lymph nodes removed from the neck. Again, always grateful that everything was benign, but it was one after another. Um, proceeded right on. My mom had breast cancer in uh 1998, um, right about that time and extending for probably the next 10 or 12 years, I had about seven scares of my own, um, one biopsy after another. Um, But it really wasn't until my daughter was born that everything came together. She actually, I I, I swear she is my angel on earth. Um, She had her own, she was born in 2003, and she's had her own complement of medical issues her whole life. It started that she had first her gallbladder removed, and then she had a a random fatty mass on her back, and then she had this and she had that, and she had four vascular malformations in her knee, and she just turned 10 and has had her 10th surgery. Um, But sometime about two years ago, her physical therapist said, "Um, you really have to take her to a geneticist. There's too many things unconnected here. At that point, I had to agree with her, so I, you know, being that we live in such a big city, it's pretty easy to look up a hospital like NYU, and I found a geneticist that took our insurance, and I took her in, hoping that he was going to give me some answers for her. After about an hour intake, he went through everything that he had to go through, and he looked right at me and said, I know what she has, and you have it too. And I was kind of stunned because I didn't, 
I, I couldn't understand how someone could look at me and tell me what I had. I didn't think I looked that strange. Um, but he said, do me this favor. And I, by that point, I, I had some confidence in the guy, which is unusual for me with doctors. He said, just, just don't ask me the name of it. Let me just make sure that I'm right. So with all the restraint that I had, I left, and I didn't ask him the name of it. It's probably one of the only times in my life that I've ever done that, but I'm really grateful that I did. Um, they called about five weeks later and said that she was, in fact, positive for a P10 mutation, which um, the the name of the syndrome is Cowden syndrome, and P10 is spelled P-T-E-N, is a tumor suppressor gene. And basically they told me that hers was broken, that her body's ability to suppress tumor growth was virtually not functioning. Um, stunned as a mom, then came the follow-up, which was, you need to get back in here this week because all of the cancer risks peak in your late 30s, and you're right there right now. You're right in the hot spot, and you have to move on this. So I went in two directions all at the same time because I, I immediately read everything that I could possibly read, and I knew that the thyroid cancer risks, um, which are you know a lifetime risk of about 35% in Cowden's patients, I knew that they started very young. My daughter was eight at the time, and, and I immediately started networking on the Internet and, and connecting with people. So as we were taking her for a thyroid ultrasound, which showed true-to-form, true to four large suspicious nodules, I was being referred to um, an oncologist and subsequently a breast surgeon in Manhattan. And while we were kind of running both things back and forth and they're telling me that she's got precancerous tissue on her thyroid, I'm sitting down with the breast surgeon and, and going through all of the, the information that I have. And she said to me, you need to have a mastectomy now. And it was January. And I said to her, but I, I'm a school teacher. I, I could do this in June, right? You know, there's no, yeah, I, what do you mean now? I have things I have to do. I have a kid I have to take care of. She said, I know your syndrome. Um, there had just been an article published um, in the clinical, the Journal of Clinical Cancer Research um, about a week before I ended up in her office, and she said that they've raised the lifetime risk of breast cancer to 85% in people with Cowden syndrome. She said, you have a first-degree relative with breast cancer. This is going to happen. You can't wait. I said, okay. Um, and I'm can't argue with that logic. <laughs> what? You can't argue with that logic. Well, no, I, and, and I knew that I couldn't, and I sat there like a little bit stunned, but I just kind of went through the motions. And by the time I walked out of the office, they said March 5th. So I, I got in the car and I called my husband, and, and I said, but, but I have work. And he said, but I don't really care because I need to have you. So we're going to do what we need to do. And he was super supportive from the very beginning. And I called my mom, and I said, remember when I helped you out when you had that mastectomy, right, um, I need a hand. And she was, you know, my whole family was great. And we went in doing this prophylactically, and I had never heard of anything other than the BRCA gene and this and that. I, I was obsessed with the Internet, finding more information, finding more information. And by the time I went in for the surgery, as nervous as I was, I was empowered that I was making the right decision. But I think what knocked me on my bottom a couple of weeks, I don't know what I'm allowed to say on the radio here. You can a say whatever you want. You're not on your ass. Yeah. You can say whatever you I, want. I can say that. Excellent. Um, it definitely knocked me on my ass when I went in a few weeks later and I had my husband and my daughter uh, with me 
uh, for my follow-up appointment, and the plastic surgeon handed me a pathology report that said, hey, good thing we moved when we did because there was um, stage one cancer in the left breast. Uh, and I just went, what? Yeah. She said, no, it, it, it was there, um, and now it's gone, and you're okay. But if you had waited a couple of months, you'd have been in one hell of a fight. And I just went, wow. Um, and then I grabbed my kid and I kissed her a lot. And that's kind of how our story shook out. We're still, um, you know, dodging bullets and, and going through screenings all the time. I ended up having a hysterectomy a few weeks, literally a few weeks after that. The mastectomy was in March. The hysterectomy was in May because at that point then no one was taking any chances with me. So here's a polyp. Let's go. And right. <laughs> here's a polyp. Everything goes. I said, okay. Um, you know, and, and currently we're kind of in a, in a screening mode. I've got um, four tumors on my spleen that are just being watched right now. They're behaving themselves. Um, my daughter has had two, um, uh, two thyroid bi- biopsies, and we have her, you know, up at a, a major cancer center watching and waiting, and there's a little, little cyst here and a little this there. And the whole thing just never leaves your mind. <laughs> So that's kind of how we ended up where we are. That's extraordinary. Yeah, that is quite the, uh, wow, I have the BRCA1 mutation, so I feel you. I didn't know I had it until I actually had breast cancer. So you're very lucky you had the surgery when you did because typically when you have these mutations, and I'm sure your doctor told you, it, the t- cancer tends to be much more aggressive than a regular just hormonal breast cancer or whatever it is my, you might have. So you know, you're at a risk for all these different cancers. What is your, you know, I read a little bit on your blog. What is your daughter going through right now? Oh, she, she's such a sweet kid. Um, but she has, she has a lot of friends. She's a real personal kid, but personable kid, but she struggles to feel normal. You know, as she puts it, she'll, she's extremely profound, um, and she breaks my heart sometimes because she'll ask me questions like, you know, are, are my kids going to have this? Or, you know, when will, I have, when will I have my mastectomy? Or do you think I'll be able to have children before I have to have the hysterectomy? I mean, these are, these are tough questions coming out of a 10-year-old who's just kind of growing. Um, but this is the reality that she's got. I mean, the endocrinologist that we see, whether I liked it or not, he gave me about five minutes to sit her down and explain that her thyroid at some point was going to be a malignancy. And at the age of eight, I had to explain it to her and it stunk. And I really think she gets it. Um, And so it's always in the back of her mind, this constant worry that, you know, which one of us will it be and when and, and how long. And, And she's got this feeling that her friends just can't quite understand um, why she's always at the doctor. I mean, we literally, this summer was just a harsh. Uh, we were we were at a screening appointment for virtually the whole month of July because when you go, if they find something they don't like, then there's the follow-ups that come after that. And between the two of us, she's got pediatric doctors and I have adult doctors, and we're in the city for everything. And her insurance company is different than mine because my husband is her primary insurance carrier, so half the time we're not even at the same hospital. You know, this kid sits down and her friends are telling her that, you know, they're at camp or they're at the beach or they're here or they're there. And she says, Mom, what am I supposed to talk about? 
what am I supposed to say? Right. They don't want to know. Yeah. And even if they do want to know, they just don't get it. They don't believe the kids are mean. Most of the kids she deals with are really, really sweet, but they just don't. It's not their life. So they, they don't get it. Um, and she feels like she's kind of in between. She's very grateful that she hasn't had any cancer, yet she has this sense of impending doom. But she feels like she doesn't quite fit in with, you know, people who've gone through it, but she doesn't quite fit in with the normal kids. So it's it's a struggle for her, um, and it's difficult. One of the things that has helped us immensely is um, the Internet. I have a, a support group through Facebook called Life with Cowdens um, and another one um, called Ski 10 World, uh, which is actually a separate site. And those are two of the things that I found early in the game. And the people that I've connected through there are – friends to me and allies to me, but several of them have children that, while they're spread out across the world, have become allies to my daughter. So at least through the world of the Internet, she has about three kids her own age that have Calvin syndrome, you know, one in Australia, one in Ohio. They're not, none of them are close, but at least she can FaceTime with them and she can talk to them. And, and if she does actually need to share out something before they move on to kid things, they can they can eke out a story here or there about a doctor's appointment or something that they've gone through that they need to talk to another kid about. So, Lori, let me ask you then, um, what is the strategy to live with this uh, as a chronic condition? Because there's only so many things they can remove from your body over the course of time. We, we often joke here, because that's all we do is poke a stick at this ridiculousness, is how many things can you live without to be a functioning human being in society? You know, there's two livers, there's two lungs, you know, there's, there's no, two, two, kidney, liver, two kidneys, two kidneys. If only, Kenny, has Kenny two, says. Kenny has two only. livers. <laughs> there's two kidneys, there's two lungs, you know, there's two eyes. You know, what can you live without to stay functional in society? Well, apparently you can live without quite a bit um, because they're telling me my spleen's probably not long for this world. Right. Um, so, so that'd be a good part of the midsection actually, yeah, right. actually gone. Um you know, I, I don't know. I think my body got kind of pissed after the hysterectomy, to be honest with you. I think it, it kind of said I should slow down on the organ removal because it took a, little, took a little time to come out of recovery that day. Um, because I do think there's probably a point where your body goes, what, you know, what's going on here? Um, but the strategy is, is constant screenings. But with that is its own handicaps. Like I said to you, you know, I work full-time. My daughter's in school, so I'm trying to fit these things in, you know, kind of around holidays and around vacations. But this summer it just it took on a life of its own, and it literally ran the whole month of July, and it just wasn't healthy for either one of us. Um, so I, I don't know yet. You know, we're still about two years into this. The recommendations for screenings are every six months on just about everything. Um, and we'll do the best that we can. My, we spend a lot of time in the MRI tube. Um, you know, they don't want to do CAT scans because, or CT scans as they're called because of the risk of radiation. They don't want to x-ray things because of the risk of radiation. Um, they don't want to do anything other than an MRI because they feel like that's the safest, except if you're my kid who I know has other issues besides P10 and she doesn't detoxify well. And a recent urine test showed that her levels of gadolinium, which is the MRI contrast dye, right. were 380 times the upper limit of normal. Okay. So I don't really know what the long-term plan is because that's not good for you either. 
Uh, right. So we're taking we're taking it one screening at a time, um, but it's a, it's a lot of paying attention, um, and it's it's exhausting. I have to say. Well, it's clearly turned you into a vigilant self advocate, but you you kind of seem to possess that DNA even before the shenanigans began. I appreciate that. She's. Um, I, I think my daughter kind of turned me into that. Uh, that personality because when you have this responsibility to another human being and and that child is not well and she really I have to say she she just she wasn't ever really healthy um from the time she was little you want to do everything that you can to make things okay for them and so you know wanting to be her advocate morphed into I need a copy of that report. Can I have that? Uh, you know what? I don't think you're doing a good job. You're fired. There's got to be another doctor who does that. You know, as my confidence grew, I learned that the doctors had to be people I kind of consulted with, but not the ultimate decision makers in how things went because I don't have med school, but I've got a good head on my shoulders. And if they can't explain their thinking, then I need to go to somebody else who can. Um, and that's a lot of what this this becomes it becomes really needing to be um, needing to be an advocate um, and needing to raise awareness and needing to make sure you know we we feel like Megan and I feel like we have a responsibility now because Cavs is likely very underdiagnosed um, this one in 200,000 for someone to look at me at at you know in my late 30s and say oh that's what you have I, I never would have guessed, and all the doctors I had seen all through the years that were busy cutting away all sorts of benign things never once put the pieces together. Um, we're out there trying to, that's why I put the blog together. We're out there just trying to raise awareness that this exists. Um, my daughter has a special affinity for the, the Global Genes Project. Uh, they call themselves Rare Project, but their slogan is uh, Hope It's in Our Genes, and they really focus on rare and genetic disorders. And one of the things that she really wanted was an identity piece. So we have crafted, um, a jeweler friend of ours crafted a necklace in the shape of a denim ribbon. So that's the piece that we all share together. It's not a pink ribbon. It's not a, you know, other color ribbon. We all three, my husband, my daughter, and I have this denim ribbon that we wear around our neck um, that's kind of just a, a joining force, but something that hopefully my daughter has a, a desire, hopefully to get the word out and hopefully to get that piece to become a little bit more popular as, as an awareness raiser. And you were worried about what we're going to talk about in the past 15 minutes. <laughs> well, we are actually have time, but I think that your story raises the bar on the general awareness that young adults have to have in general about anything that can happen to them especially as precursors too, and having to have gone through what you went through without even having actual cancer diagnosis, let alone finding out you kind of had it in the lump of flesh laying on the table afterwards. Uh, you, so your your blog is uh, beatingcowdens.com, and, uh, yes. and you are a rock star. I don't know, understand why you were in any way intimidated by coming on this show. You are a natural-born radio guest. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I guess we'll see you soon. We'll have to set up a play date or something. Yeah, exactly. All right. Lori Ortega, everyone. Thank you, Lori, so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's get to the news here. 
I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All right, Matt, head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods. We certainly don't want you missing out. As I find my cursor, we have events coming up in New York City, Raleigh, North Carolina, and Denver, Colorado. Presenting Instapeer, as mentioned at the top of the show, a revolutionary mobile app that has the potential to end isolation and connect people with those who've walked in your shoes. You can help Stupid Cancer reach our $50,000 goal to bring Instapeer to life by visiting instapeer.org, watching our video, and joining our army of friends, fans, supporters, and backers. Save the date for OMG 2014, the 7th annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults. Next April at the Palms Casino in Las Vegas, visit omg2014.org to join the mailing list and official Facebook group. All right, I'll let you do the, the store, Kenny, because you have new stuff to know. Oh, my baby. The fall season is upon us, so it's time to stock up on some new threads like a stupid cancer brand hoodie, hat, gloves, more. Surf on over to stupidcancerstore.org anytime. We're open 24-7 for great deals on your products year-round. Be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And finally, you are listening to the Stupid Cancer Show in its all-new HD broadcasting format. Well, now you can't listen to each show live, so be sure to subscribe for free anytime on iHeartRadio Talk, Apple iTunes Podcast, or right here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Visit stupidcancershow.org anytime to get connected, and thanks for listening. And, and that, that is, is your Stupid Cancer News. I am so excited for this show. I know, you are. Go for it. So our main event on the environment, we have Serata Tangerala. She's the grassroots coordinator coordinator for the campaign for Safe Cosmetics and coordinates online and on-the-ground strategies to educate the public about dangerous chemicals and cosmetics and personal care products and calls on companies to move towards safer production. And also Lindsay Dahl, she's the deputy director for Safer Chemicals, Healthy Families as a longtime public health and environmental advocate. And Nancy Biermeyer, she brings 25 years of federal advocacy experience to the issue of toxic chemicals in our consumer products and environment and leads the Breast Cancer Fund's efforts to reform TSCA. We're going to find out all about that. Please welcome to the show my favorite returning champions, Lindsay Serrata and Nancy. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hey. How are you doing tonight? This is the best show ever. (laughs) And it hasn't even started yet. We 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 did last week's show with the breast cancer with breast cancer action and their their phenomenal uh, uh, activism. And you guys came up if you had a rash happening uh, you know, around ten o'clock last Monday. But it's it's this continuing theme of how we can stay angry but be doing the right things and really educating the world about this stuff. And before we start, Lindsay, you ruined me by shipping me down to Washington for that day. <laughs> I'm forever soiled uh, in the mire of angst and hostility towards Congress, thanks to you. So I will say you are fired up, though, too, which is a good thing. I am quite fired <laughs> up. So let's start with you, because you're the, ring, you're the ringleader that I had my first date with about four years ago before we sucked you into our universe. Um, you are the Deputy Director for Safe for Chemicals Health Families, which is a huge alliance. I love alliances. I love collaboration. Talk about how you got started there. Yeah, so we started about four and a half years ago, and there is a bunch of um, organizations, both at the community, state, and national level, that in different ways were working on the issues of toxic chemicals. And so um, 
we decided to, you know, collectively pull together a campaign that would specifically focus on reforming our federal law um, called TOSCA, the Toxic Substances Control Act, um, that would, you know, take a stab at trying to reform that law in a way that would adequately protect public health from toxic chemicals in the environment and the products that we use every day. Very cool. And Serata, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics uh, has a similar story to Safer Chemicals Healthy Families. Um, we're also a national coalition. And um, we were started almost 10 years ago now. Uh, some leading national organizations discovered that there are actually toxic chemicals in our cosmetics and personal care products. I mean, who knew? Um, but so they founded the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, and, uh, and so our mission is really to protect uh, the health of consumers, workers, you know, all of us, basically by getting harmful chemicals out of these products. And we do this through public education, um, getting people to understand what's in the products that they're using every day. Uh, also market-based changes, you know, getting companies that make and sell cosmetics to make voluntary commitments to get these chemicals out. And then also uh, policy efforts to get uh, national legislation and also state-based efforts to, um, to create some, some standards that are going to protect all of us, whether a company has made a voluntary commitment or not. Well done. And we've had you guys on the show in, in multiple forms for several years now. But if uh, if Lindsay ruined me, then Nancy rubbed salt in the wound in the best possible way. Uh, by As the, the lobbyists on the good side of the world, uh, when I spent considerable time with you on the Hill, learning really what the what the mucky mucks are going on. Um, so before we dig into this, I'd love, Nancy, can you tell us about the Toxic Sum Substances Chemical Safety Act of 19... 08? How old is it? It's, it's forever old and, and irrelevant. Let's, let's start with that. Sure. So it's the Toxic Substances, Substances Control Act, and it was passed in 1976, so it's 37 years old. It's the oldest uh, major environmental law that has not been updated since that time, and you know things have changed a little bit since 1976. Um, so it's out there. It's not doing the job. We are all exposed to chemicals in a variety of ways, including consumer products like um, personal care products and cosmetics. And we are trying to beat on Congress to get them to do the right thing and update that law in a way that would really protect the public from these chemicals that we are learning more and more are linked to a lot of the diseases that we're seeing increase, increases in over the last several decades, including breast cancer, which is up 40%. Since 1973. All right. So, and and so you work for the uh, for for the breast cancer fund. Uh, what is the differentiation? Uh, what what do you guys specifically focus on? So the breast cancer fund is has a very specific and somewhat unique mission, in that we specifically focus on breast cancer prevention, and we do that by working to eliminate exposures to toxic chemicals and radiation that have been linked to the disease. So we look at what's the science out there, we base what we do on a foundation of science, and when we see that there are chemicals linked to cancer that we're exposed to every day, we try to work through the ways Sarah talked about, um, the market, public education, and ultimately policy to reduce or eliminate those exposures. And what we know is that if we're able to do that, we 
can do a lot to reduce the burden of not just breast cancer, but a lot of other diseases. So, Nancy, I just want to play off a little bit um, of what you were just talking about and also a little bit of my background. So I had stage 2 breast cancer about a year a year and a half ago, and uh, I was 30 years old, and mine was genetic. I did I had, I had the BRCA1 mutation. I did not know I had it, so I did not know that, you know, I don't really know what kind of spurred it, what brought it upon the time that it did. I know I ate probably a little too many lean cuisines and chemical foods, but what's, you know, the environmental factors that come into play with genetics with breast cancer? It's a, it's a great question, and it's uh, something that, that science is just beginning to even look at, much less understand. And what we are finding is that there are interactions and in that your genetics and how those play out are very much impacted by the environmental exposures you have over your lifetime. And the BRCA gene is a good example. You know, the, the statistics are off the charts in terms of the chance you have of getting breast cancer if you have one of the BRCA genes today. But those numbers, which I think are in the 80 percentile, in the, in the 80 percent or so, have significantly increased. Even if you had the same genes, your risk of getting breast cancer was significantly less 30, 40 years ago. So it's that interaction that we really don't yet understand, but that we know is out there and we need to learn more about. So on last week's show, this is for Serato, last week's show I asked the, I played the role of the right-wing denier, and I asked the following question. I want to hear what your, actually all three of your responses. Show me the science that proves definitively that X chemical causes X cancer. Well, I can go first. This is Zerda. Um Well, there is there is sound science uh, basically linking various chemicals used in products, such as personal care products, linked to adverse health effects. There's uh, studies showing the links between phthalates and hormone disruption, between formaldehyde and cancer. And so the science is out there. And what that means, it doesn't mean that using a particular shampoo or lotion one time is going to give you cancer. What it means is that it, being exposed to all of these different chemicals from all of these different sources is increasing our risk. Every single day we're increasing our risk. We're being exposed to this toxic soup every day. And so shouldn't we be on the side of prevention, on the side of precaution, and, and trying to prevent diseases, prevent um, different health outcomes before they, before they start? And I'll, I could go this. I can. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Um, so this is Lindsay. I was just going to say, um, ditto to what Sarita had said. And I think um, just an important distinction, you had said the kind of right-winger deniers. You know, we've got a ton of conservatives that are a part of our coalition that um, fully see the science behind this. I would argue that it's sometimes the chemical industry that's asking the question you're asking, Matthew, um, which is looking for that, you know, definitive moment where you can say X person, um, you know, developed cancer because of this chemical. Um, a lot of the studies we know specifically when we look at cancer about the links between chemicals and cancer are looking at worker populations. And so um, there are human studies and um, cancer clusters as well as worker populations where we can say we know a lot about certain chemicals like TCE or um, formaldehyde like Sarita mentioned. 
that show links between chemicals and cancer. Um, but, you know, as we were talking about earlier in the show, you can never really exactly pinpoint exactly an environmental exposure to someone's cancer later in life for most people. But if we know that repeatedly in studies over decades and decades show that a certain chemical causes cancer, then we have a major opportunity for prevention. So, Sarah, uh, my question, so, you know, I know you guys talk a lot about these chemicals and beauty products and shampoos and things like that. You know, I live in New York City and there's a ton of pollution. Um, you know, secondhand smoke is not as big of an issue as it used to be. But I, when I, you know, I'm a little bit of a skeptic. Um, I, you know, having had a genetic cancer, I sometimes, I, I was in the 80, 87th percentile for lifetime risk of breast cancer. So I feel like there was nothing in my lifestyle that did it. I was just kind of born this way. So how can people change their lives without living in a bubble to avoid in new hampshire yeah i I just uh you know i understand where you guys are coming from and you want to eat healthier you want to use you know safer products but what can you do besides living in a bubble absolutely and and i think the fact that there are uh, efforts major national efforts out there like safer chemicals healthy families the campaign for safe cosmetics and others um, the, the very first thing I would say is to get involved. You know, the more voices that are part of this this change effort to get Congress to take on um, chemical safety regulation and cosmetic safety, uh, to call on companies to change their their practices and their policies, that's that's one of the the biggest ways I think that that everyone and anyone can do to get involved. There's of course tips that that an individual can use in their everyday life, uh, which shouldn't, especially in today's time, make you feel like you're living in a bubble because there's such an awareness now. There's such a consumer demand, a growing consumer demand for safer products. So, so, you know, trying to find safer products is becoming uh, more and more possible and accessible, Uh, avoiding the worst ingredients that we know are linked to cancer and other illnesses. Um, There's resources available for that. And then just tips like using fewer products, using them less frequently, knowing the ingredients that are in there, you know, going for the products that have the simpler labels um, where you, you know what's in there or making your own. There's a, there's a huge um, DIY sort of do-it-yourself um, product movement, too, where people are making their own, so there's resources out there. So um, things like that are just things that people can do, do in their everyday lives as well. And that speaks to this. Well, and I was just... So go ahead, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, so just get a, like exactly right on with what Sarah said, but I mean I think the other thing is people should do what they can. You're right. You can't possibly in every area of your life control everything. It can't be done. So people should take whatever step they're most comfortable with and what they can do. But ultimately, the responsibility is not should not be on the individual to control what they're exposed to. The government is supposed to be making sure that the products that we have out there and the air and water that we breathe and drink don't have these toxic chemicals in them. And the the government is falling down on the job, and we need to change those laws so that everybody is protected. And you don't have to be a chemist when you go to the PD aisle to buy shampoo. You shouldn't have to be. I was going to make a, not a joke, but we had an observation on the show a couple of years ago. We had a nutritional, quote, expert, quote, who was talking about the, the merits of, of juicing kale and eating macrobiotic and spending nine hours a day cooking your food without working, without children, you know, re- realistic stuff. 
And I basically asked her flat out, what good is juicing kale if you wake up every day breathing Shanghai smog? And her response was actually very clever, but slightly disappointing. She said, well, you'll carbon neutral the horrors of the atmosphere. And, like, is that really the solution we have to deal with? Is, so, which brings me to what I was saying before. You guys are all, uh, you are all evidence of progress in consumer culture. We are all now much more health-focused. We're more uh, forward-facing. We're more grassroots-oriented. There's a lot of social causes now that we can get behind. So in terms of progress toward the advancement of all these initiatives, I want to talk about the corporate role in all of this because breast cancer um, action, they took on uh, YoPlay with their bovine growth hormone and they took on Coleman with their, um, you know, with the the cancer-causing perfume they're selling. So I I see here like groups like Walmart and Target are kind of hopping on a bandwagon. Is this pandering or they're actually doing real things? This is Lindsay. I could take an initial um, take at that. So um, all of our organizations on the phone have been working in different ways, um, both to educate the public, to be asking the right questions of retailers like Target and Walmart, as well as starting specific campaigns focusing on uh, these retailers, making sure we're asking them the right questions as the public health community to make sure they're also feeling pressure in that way. And, well, I think some steps that different companies have taken in the past few years on texochemicals are sometimes a little too little too late. I do think the steps by Walmart and Target um, out of the gate are really exciting. And they're exciting because the retailers really haven't been taking action or taking the considerations about toxochemicals seriously until recently. And so to see Walmart and Target in the last few months taking some meaningful first steps on the issue of toxochemicals in the supply chain, I think is really encouraging. Um, had they just said, oh, we're just going to focus on one chemical and one product line, I would be less excited about it. But uh, both companies in their own ways have taken a slightly broader sweep uh, looking at certain chemicals and broader product categories, which is exciting to me. So I'm on the American Cancer Society's website, and one of the questions is, do cosmetics cause health problems? And their response is, but whether cosmetics or certain ingredients in them cause more subtle or long-term health problems is still a matter of debate. And they continue to go on as saying, based on the current available data, there's little evidence to suggest that using cosmetics or being exposed to the ingredients as cosmetics during normal use of these products increases cancer risk. So, Nancy, what would your response be to a statement like that being on a very mainstream website such as the American Cancer Society? I would say that they are not taking seriously enough the, the science that's out there. It's true. There's not rock solid. It absolutely causes cancer. But to be able to do that, we'd have to dose people with toxic chemicals and see what happens, which, of course, is, A, not feasible because we're all exposed to so many chemicals every day, all day, and it's unethical. Um, so, you know, the American Cancer Society is a is a pretty conservative, large organization, and I would say that they should be updating their look at the science and they should take a more precautionary approach to the data that is out there. And Serata, what would your response be to that? Well, 
Well, just echoing everything Nancy has said about, you know, taking a precautionary approach. And, and the other aspect is that, you know, major, major global corporations are taking steps here that we've talked about Target and Walmart, but also Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble have made announcements that they'll be phasing out several uh, of our top um, you know, chemicals on our hit list. And so the fact that major corporations are, are taking these steps, that enough consumers have demanded safer products, uh, that it's reaching, it's, it's going up the, the chain of command at these companies, and they're, they're coming out with cosmetic uh, safety policies, with chemical safety policies. You know, Target, you know, after their announcement, they have asked the campaign for Safe Cosmetics to collaborate with them around developing a standard for cosmetics um, safety starting in 2014. So, you know, we've been talking with that company. We've been talking with uh, Johnson & Johnson for years. And, and the fact that they're taking our concerns seriously, which represents the concerns of hundreds of thousands of people across the country, means that there's a real uh, opportunity here to take people's health first and not, you know, not make, uh, you know, the government prove that a chemical is unsafe before it's phased out, but rather to prove that it's safe before it can be used, right? The, the burden of proof should be on, on, on the chemical companies uh, and on the companies that want to put those chemicals in their products to prove that they're safe uh, before they're sold on store shelves, before people are buying them. And Lindsay, I'll give this uh, question yeah, just, to you. Uh, what are, in just like layman's terms, to someone who doesn't have uh, an extensive science background, what are some products that, in your background and your opinion, that you believe can be cancer-causing? The first thing that jumps to mind is when you look at certain types of flame retardants that are used in a lot of the products in most of our homes. So um, if you look at couches, there was a peer-reviewed study from a couple years ago that tested couches that found that over 85% of the couches in our homes contain one or more different types of flame retardants, most of which are toxic. So these are chemicals that are intended to slow and prevent the spread of fires, um, but it turns out that they don't actually slow or prevent the spread of fires and they also have negative health outcomes. Um, chlorinated tris is one of the chemicals that is used um, to treat a lot of the different foam products in our houses, so both um, you know, couches and um, armchairs and stuff like that. And it leaches out into the dust and we inhale the dust into our bodies. And it's been um, classified by the state of California as a known human carcinogen. So that's one of the things that's trickiest and I think underscores the point that you brought up earlier, Annie, which is we can't all buy a custom $3,000 homemade couch that doesn't have chlorinated tris. What we need is we need leadership from the government, we need leadership from companies, and we need leadership from retailers to really start to take these issues about toxic chemical exposures in our homes seriously, because we as individuals don't have the time or the money to really take it on. Which brings me to the elephant in the room, which, of course, is the, uh, what's it called, the American Chemistry Council and their cronies across the aisle. Uh, how, and, and this was kind of my, my wake-up call when I went down there, is they, they really exist. It's not fiction. The movies are right. And how, or let me rephrase it, the power of the people, is it making a difference in their world, or is the corporate world finally reali realizing that this is a market for people who will rather buy the couch that won't cause them cancer if they sell it? Make that for, for Sarita. Wow, that's a that's a tough question. Um, I'm gonna 
I'm going to pass that one off to Nancy. Yeah, if I understand the question, you're talking about like what is going to move this issue forward. Or does and it even matter? Does it even it matter is, if consumers and corporations are going to sell the couch that doesn't cause cancer because people will buy that instead of the couch that will cause you cancer? Does it render the lobbyist groups on the other side of your aisle irrelevant? Uh, no. Um, you know about the lobbyist groups like the American Chemistry Council? Yes. They will they will always be relevant because they have a lot of money and they spend it. Um, I think there was a report that in the last year they spent something like fifty five million dollars, maybe not ACC itself, but all of the chemical com- companies together, on lobbying. And while we are a hearty band at the Safe Chemicals Healthy Families Coalition, we don't have that kind of money. They'll always be relevant. But what brings them to the table and what puts pressure on Congress to take action is in fact the consumer demand, and the state activity that's gone on. States have taken up the the banner where the federal government has fallen down, and they have passed a variety of different bills all across the country that has put pressure on the chemical industry to say, okay, we need one federal standard. And our role in this and our task in this is to make sure that when we get one federal standard, it's strong enough to really protect the public health. Um, but they'll always be a part of the equation. Um, but we can't depend just on the market because not everybody can afford, as Lindsay said, the $3,000 custom um, custom couch, and they shouldn't have to. The, the products in the United States of America and around the world should be safe, and they're safer in other places than they are here, like in Europe. Right, right, right. So, uh, Lindsay, I think one thing... Yeah, Lindsay, I was going to ask you. One thing I've seen... T- yeah, just to your point, Matthew, I think one thing that I've seen in Nancy and Sarah have all seen over the years is that the growing movement of people that are engaged in this issue has completely changed the conversation about chemicals in the environment in the last five to ten years. So six years ago, some people knew about BPA, but now we can use the term BPA, and most people know, oh, that's that bad chemical that's found in a lot of plastic water bottles or in baby bottles. People now know that, and so the public awareness around this issue has drastically changed things. And as a result, like Nancy said, states have been aggressively passing state laws on toxic chemicals. And now Congress is actually having a discussion about what meaningful federal reform looks like. And we know that Congress moves slow in part because of the deep pockets of our opposition. But we also know that the people that elect our members of Congress into office are the ones, people like you and me, that go and vote at the polls. And so we have so much power that I think is sometimes unrealized, but we're working to do throughout our different campaigns is to pull everyone's voices together in a centralized way to say, listen up, Congress. The majority of people are really concerned about this issue, and it's time you pay attention. Agreed. So so then let's talk about that progress, because what I learned, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that there is now a revised bill that's going through the government that has like bipartisan support from both sides, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, in May there was a bill that was introduced in the Senate called the Chemical Safety Improvement Act, which had, um, which has bipartisan support. Um, but unfortunately, the bill, as it's drafted, 
is not meaningful enough. It does not protect public health from toxic chemicals. And so we're trying to send a message to Congress right now to say, if we want meaningful reform of Tosca, which we do, this big mass of people, it needs to protect pregnant women, it needs to protect children, and it needs to protect vulnerable communities. Nancy, your experience on this, uh, pushing this in the direction it needs to go? Well, as Lindsay said, this bill doesn't get the job done. And we have been united in trying to push the the Senate committee that this that has to take this issue up to make it stronger. And we're still in that process. Um, we don't know what the ultimate outcome is going to be. But as Lindsay said, and the great work that she's done in organizing voices around the country as well as um, Sarah with the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, that's going to make the difference. We need to bring the American public's voice forward and say, this bill isn't good enough. We need something that really is going to make a difference. And, you know, we'll see how that all plays out. But right now it's anybody's guess what we're going to end up with in the end. Um, so. So, right, so and that this br- is Sarah, just to, ahead, throw, yeah. in, just to just, throw in uh, as well that there's a bill in the House of Representatives, the Safe Cosmetics and Personal Care Products Act, uh, which looks specifically at uh, chemicals in cosmetics products because, um, you know, one of the things that I think is a surprise to many is that cosmetics are regulated separately from other products. And so um, the FDA really has next to no authority to really do its job in terms of regulating cosmetics. And so the Safe Cosmetics and Personal Care Products Act is looking to correct that problem and phase out the worst chemicals, the carcinogens, the reproductive toxins um, from all products to give the FDA authority to issue mandatory recalls if a product is unsafe, things like that. So that's another way to um, to get involved in this issue. So one more question for the three of you then. Um, you know, I look back at five or six years ago, and I remember when seventh generation like first came to market. We're like, what is this crap? And now we can't live without it. And it's spawned an entire cottage industry of these environmentally friendly, consumer-facing forward advocacy-labeled brands like Ology and Method and Gen365. Have you been working at all or have you had dialogue with these organizations to take their muster? They, they built an entire empowered consumer audience that didn't even exist four or five years ago and have them involved in the fold. I'll start, by, Go ahead. I'll start by just saying I'm actually in Washington, D.C. right now, even though we're located in San Francisco. I'm in Washington, D.C. because Seventh Generation is hosting a Hill briefing talking about the need for Tosca reform, for reform, for reform of this bill. And they have been really important allies. And I think the number of companies that recognize that it's good for business as well as for the environment to, to take these steps to build to, to make safer products, you know, that list is growing and really important. Lindsay, any comment on that? I was just going to add, yeah, I was, um, um, hi, Nancy, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to mention that same thing that Actually, this week, Seven Generation is hosting a discussion about the very issue that we're talking about tonight, and it's encouraging for me to see leadership from Seventh Generation and other companies that are really, they're actively engaging and putting their weight behind um, the issue of meaningful task reform on the Hill, which is really exciting. And part of the reason that 
Save Our Chemicals Healthy Families as a coalition not only has nonprofits working on this issue, but as well as businesses that have signed up and raised their hand to say, yes, we too care about meaningful policy change. Very cool. We have one last question. We're about to wrap up. We can start with Lindsay. So what are some small changes that our listeners can do in their lives to potentially reduce their risk? Well, I think um, the first thing I'd suggest is uh, to not drive yourself crazy and to get involved in this advocacy work um, because what we ultimately need is a strong federal system where we don't have to carry to-do and safe shopping lists in our um, purses and bags. So that's the first thing i do is you can go to any of our websites um, to check out ways to get involved in that advocacy action. Um, and I guess I'll leave it right there at the advocacy step. Sarada? I'll mention, I'll mention a, a few things that I haven't yet, uh, one of which is um, to avoid fragrance. <laughs> fragrance is one of those categories um, that when you see it on a, on a product label, it can, it can consist of you know, ten, tens of, or even hundreds of different chemicals that don't have to be disclosed. So if you can avoid fragrance um, and, and to sort of look out for that. Uh, another is, you know, again, like Lindsay was saying, don't drive yourself crazy. Um, one of the things I tell people when I'm talking about, um, you know, making safe cosmetics changes is, you know, don't try to throw out your entire medicine cabinet of products. Just maybe the next time you run out of something, maybe replace that with something safer and then the next time and then the next time so that you can kind of stretch your dollars a little bit. And then finally, um, there's a, a great new app for the iPhone that's out. It's called Think Dirty. And what this app is is you can scan your personal care products and it'll uh, it'll show up the, the safety ratings. And so, um, and so that's in beta right now, and so folks can download that app for the iPhone. And during the month of October, for every product that you scan, the Breast Cancer Fund gets a dollar from Think Dirty. So encourage everyone out there to try it out and, uh, and give us your feedback. What was the name of the app again? It's called Think Dirty. Think Dirty. That's awesome. And uh, Nancy, what's going on with you guys? How can we help? Well, in terms of people um, getting tips about how to make their their world less toxic, I would direct you to the website, breastcancerfund.org, and to the, safe, the, the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics website, because on there is a whole series of tips that go from your bathroom to your kitchen to your living room to outdoors. There's all kinds of different ways you can reduce those exposures. Um, and those tips are really important, and people really, really eat them up. They're really popular. But ultimately, you know, I want to sort of go come first, full circle to what Lindsay said. We can't shop our way out of this problem, and we need federal policy reform um, to make it to make it right. And so please do get involved in any one of the, the organizations on this call because we all work very, very closely together. And now that the government is open... Period, period, period. <laughs> For now. <laughs> For now, exactly. Well, once once again, an award-winning show. Uh, I can't thank you guys enough. You you know personally how much I care about what you're doing. And, again, not that I would not have been as passionate if I did not have children, but the fact that I have only done my best to give them solely <laughs> seventh-generation products since they were born uh, and say hi to them for me because I love them is is a testament to, again, this new consumer awareness. BPA was just the first thing. BGH is the next thing. We're going to find out. Parabens are the new black in the environmental world. And and we're doing our best to work with you guys, too, 
to give you the platform, be a bit of a bullhorn to our universe, and uh, just just all around good stuff. Progress comes slow, but it does happen. And we really appreciate the opportunity to get the message out through through your show. You guys have always been really great. All right. Yeah, well, thank you. A pleasure. And when, so I, I, we'll talk soon. We got a lot of stuff on the plate, and we got a plan for 2014, our environmental takeover of Vegas. Wonderful. <laughs> and we've got some stupid, we've got some stupid cancer folks because it'll be in Washington D.C. next week for the Stroller Brigade. Yes, Allie Ward's coming, and Maureen, you're going. Yeah, on I'm going to be headed down there. My my first time lobbying, so hope they go easy on me. Yeah. <laughs> You're in good hands. All right. Sarah and Nancy, Lindsay, Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, Safe for Chemicals, Health Families, and the Breast Cancer Fund. Check them out. You guys rock. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thank you. Again, a good show. Indeed. There's another app, and I actually use it. It's called The Good Guide. The Good Guide. The Good Guide. Uh, I believe that it was launched by Fran Drescher's group a while ago, hmm. but I don't know the if cancer it's... Cancer Yeah, I don't know if it's associated with them anymore, but I use it on my phone. It actually is a UPC barcode scanner that correlates toxicities in the products you're scanning, and they're mostly household cleaners and cosmetic products. And be afraid to have it scan me. Yeah, I know. You're, you <laughs> are you're the I'm Geiger counter. Yeah, you're the Geiger counter for that. Anyway, good show. Ariana, work for you? Yeah. Any comments? Um, I like this idea of the barcode scanner and being able to use it on what you already have. Because maybe some of the things that you think would be toxic aren't as bad as you thought. Right. And I like their plan for the sort of slow play of don't get rid of everything and throw it out all at once. That's what I've been trying to do a little bit of. Right. I kind of buy into that. I don't know. I I have this feeling of if it seems more natural, it's probably better for me. I don't need the exact science, and so why not try? Right. And you're from Chicago, which is a disgusting city like ours. So you have to to carbon neutral your pending lung cancer from everything (laughs) every day. Wonderful. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, great show. Indeed. Indeed, as always. As we celebrate Pinktober, episode number three in in this month. It's almost over. By taking over. Well, next week we're going to wrap up the show with, with our friends from the Young Survival Coalition. And I think, hint, hint, we might have a surprise caller in the name of Susan Love. Oh, who might be radio bombing the show. She's a BFD. She's a BFD, and I hope she does photobomb the show. But you heard it here first, with no <laughs> promises. Susan Love, possibly on next week's show. So with that, let us turn to our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show, our 281st broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking sticks at Stupid Cancer. We'd like to thank our guests, Lori Ortega. Lindsay Dahl, Nancy Gernmeyer, and Sarah Tangarella. Join us next week as Matthew previewed stupid breast cancer. Young women can and do get breast cancer. You're one of them. Indeed. A topic I know nothing about. Join us as we welcome the leadership from the Young Survival Coalition, Jennifer Mershorf, and Stacey Lewis to talk about what's being done to address this healthcare disparity and meet the underserved needs of this population. I'm breast cancer survivor and former Stupid Cancer Show co-host Lisa Bernard in the Survivor Spotlight. 
Okay, folks, subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio Talk, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. And check us out anytime at stupidcancer.org and stupidcancershow.org. Remember, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Andy Goodman, Kenny Kane, Maureen Sweet, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next Monday. Tours, so...